Hey friends, welcome to my podcast, Straight Talk with Celine. God's redemption over my life has led to many radical changes in me. One gift God has given me is a hunger for his word and a passion to share it with you. The Bible tells us all we need to know about God, but it also tells us all we need to know about ourselves, and we fail to open it and learn these great truths. A burden that weighs heavy on me is that many professing Christians don't know their identity in Christ. So join me now as we walk through God's word and learn who we are in Christ so we can step into all he's called us to be. Welcome back to Straight Talk with Celine, week four of this Who is Jesus series. We continue our trek through the hard teachings of Jesus, and today we come to the topic of money. And I know this topic is a hard one. It makes most of us, if not all of us, uncomfortable. But we need to understand that it's an important topic. So we ask this question, what, what did Jesus say about money? And more importantly, what, what does this mean for us as we follow him? I mean, it's alarming to me how much Jesus spoke about money in the Bible. I mean, he discussed the topic of money more often than he spoke of faith and prayer combined. He, he talked about money more than he talked about heaven and hell and sex combined. I mean, approximately 15% of everything Jesus said relates to this topic of money. Guys, money is a big deal to Jesus. We know Jesus taught in parables. And I just want to point out that 11 of, of the 40 parables that Jesus spoke about were about money or used money as a way to teach us spiritual truths. For instance, the, the parables of the hidden treasure and the pearl compare the kingdom of heaven to riches. And the parable of the talents tells a story of a master who entrusts his servants with money to make a point about being productive. In the parable of the, the rich man and Lazarus, he draws attention to a great uh, eternal reversal where those who are most comfortable here on earth find themselves not so comfortable in eternity. So this tells me there must be something very dangerous about money. And guys, it was Jesus who said the following. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a rich man or for a camel to go through the eye of the needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. So why does Jesus seem to care so much about our finances? And one of the troubling characteristics I've noticed about fallen humanity, and this goes for the church as well, is our tendency to compartmentalize what we believe um, from what we do. You know, for instance, just to focus on Christians, we say we love Jesus, yet we fail to obey him. I mean, guys, doesn't that statement just convict you? And Jesus addresses this when he says, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from, from me. I mean, this is what he means when he says this. And you remember it was Jesus who said, if you love me, do what I say. And so throughout the gospels, Jesus uses money as a tool to reveal our true priorities. And just to, to name a few verses, I'm just going to name a couple. Mark 10, 21. Jesus says, one thing you lack, go and sell all you possess and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Luke 16, 20. Blessed are the poor for the kingdom is yours. Woe to the rich for you have received your consolation. Luke 14, 33, whoever does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Luke 12, 15, a person's life does not consist in possessions he has. 
Matthew 13, 44. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and he sells all that he has and buys that field. And then Luke 21, 1. Jesus saw a poor widow put in two small, small copper coins. And he said, truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. Guys, all these texts, they lead me to one word, sacrifice. And it involves putting God first. And if we're honest, all of these statements, Jesus says, makes us the most uncomfortable. Why? Because we all love our stuff. We just do, if we're being completely honest. But this is just the tip of the iceberg. I mean, Jesus spent a lot of time talking about finances because the way we spend and the way we, um, the way we look at money, it speaks very loudly about our heart condition. Over and over, Jesus is relentless in his radical call to be generous, and he calls us to be reckless givers. Guys, if you think about it, our bank statement tells the truth about what's really important to us. I mean, just go and open your checking account statement. And just look at what you spend your money on and where you put your money. Seriously, it, it will startle you. And how do I know this? Be, because I did this and it, and it really convicted me. And when you actually take inventory and you see how much you spend on yourself versus how much you invest in God's work, it will be a gut punch. Especially after we hear what Jesus has to say about this topic of finances. And I think of how Jesus hammers this home in the Sermon on the Mount when he tells us, do not store up treasures on earth where moths and, and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasure in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. His point is that we truly believe life is eternal. And if we do believe life is eternal, we won't invest all of all of our time and, and all of our finances into possessions and entertainments that will simply perish. Instead, we will pour our energy and resources into behaviors and actions that will resonate throughout eternity. To Jesus, money almost operates as a rival God who challenges our allegiance. And the truth is that, that the, the God money invites us to worship ourselves as we indulge in our own comfort and pleasure. Guys, if we're honest, isn't this true? My guess is a lot of rich people object immediately. Why do I say this? First, because it offends me too. I consider myself rich. And when you start talking about my money, I get a little uncomfortable. And guys, I'm just being honest. But then I just begin to justify things. And my first thought is, wait a minute. Isn't it 1 Timothy 6.10 that says the love of money is the root of all evil? The money's not bad. It's the love of money that is bad. And then in my mind, I start justifying behaviors and I start justifying thoughts and actions. I mean, don't we all do this? We begin justifying everything when the scriptures are very clear and very, very black and white. It is spelled out for us. But friends, remember what Jesus said. It's harder for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God, period. Not a rich man who loves his money. It simply says it's harder for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. So understand what I'm saying. Money is dangerous. Why? Well, if you have it and that becomes your lifeline, it will kill you. And the chances of it becoming a crutch for you in your life is almost guaranteed. H having money is a very slippery and dangerous slope. 
And on the other side of the coin, if you don't have it and crave it, the craving will kill you. That that craving will lead you to do all kinds of shady things. You notice when people are money hungry, that they'll beg, borrow, and steal and kill for it. It's like a drug. Money can destroy us and it absolutely reveals our hearts. So before we move on, I, I want to share some statistics with you because at the end of the day, no matter what we say, guys, numbers don't lie. This isn't about feelings. This isn't about any of that. This is straight facts. Okay. So listen to these statistics I found on Barna about the American church. Okay. So this is Christians, guys, people who follow Jesus, who people who claim that Jesus is Lord. Givers to the church make up 10 to 25% of the actual congregation. So what this tells me is the majority in the church don't give. Next, giving to the church is down 50% since, since the 90s. So, so this tells me we've become more greedy as a people. Next one, on average, Christians give 2.5% of their annual income to God. So this tells me that our hearts belong to our possessions. Next one, of families that make 75K plus a year, 1% actually give one-tenth of their income. So this tells me the more you make, the less you give. First of all, how are we going to show the world that Jesus is all sufficient when our actions and our spending doesn't show it? I mean, these statistics, they're just bad, okay? And the last statistic is truly disheartening. I mean, say your family makes $100,000 combined a year and you give the Lord $1,000. I mean, actually, it said they give less than 1%. So you make 100K and you give the Lord, what, 500 bucks? I mean, that's some, that's some leftovers. I mean, that is, that is straight whack. And so what this tells me is we in the American church, we just don't get it. And, and I'm not saying that there aren't some of you out there who are very generous. But guys, as a church, we just don't get it. And guys, the numbers, again, they don't lie. These, this is straight facts. And we can say what we want, but it's clear based on these statistics that we have issues here in America and the root of the issues are love for stuff and our comfort and security and, and wealth and entertainment and the pursuit of the posh life, okay? We, we, we put our faith in our finances. We would rather be on the merry-go-round of life in Disneyland than wake up to this reality and make radical changes. I mean, it's hard to say that God is our treasure when we look at these numbers, but for, for the sake of time, let's jump to this text from the Gospels and get some help from Jesus on this topic of money. I know you all get the picture. I mean, starting in Matthew 6, Jesus gives us a very stern warning, and I think it's only wise of us to read this, to digest it, to pick it apart. We have to read this in its context, as well as alongside other texts, to, to really get a proper meaning and point. And I think when we read this, this will awaken our hearts and minds to the reality of how we are to view and manage money here on earth as followers of Christ. Again, put yourself in the story here. View yourself through the lens and ask yourself the question, in light of knowing all of this stuff, what does this mean for my identity in Christ? So starting in Matthew 6, 
verse 19 through 20, it says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. So the first question that comes to my mind is, what does Jesus mean when he says this? What, what does it mean to lay up yourselves for yourselves treasure in heaven rather than treasures here on earth? I, mean, I think we need to see this entire section of scripture from Matthew 6 to understand fully what Jesus is saying. And it's Matthew 6, 19 through 34, the, the whole paragraph that we've got to see in its context. And it gives us all the clues we need. And while we focus on what Jesus said about money, we must understand all that Jesus says here because he gives us the answers that we're looking for. And there are three overarching commands that we find in these 15 verses. The first command he gives us, lay up treasures in heaven. The second command he gives us is do not be anxious. The third command he gives us is seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And how do these relate in the context of, of, of the verse? Well, seek God's kingdom is the big one. I mean, Jesus is saying, be passionate about experiencing the saving, purifying, empowering, loving power of God over your life in the world. We, we must seek his kingdom in our lives and over the entire earth. We must live every day seeking to make God's business our business. Make the kingdom your primary concern and pursue it with reckless abandonment. You know what we do? We make our kingdom our primary concern. We like to set up our little tyke uh, Fisher-Price thrones and sit on them. And when things start crumbling, who do we blame? We blame God every single time. Guys, let me just make something clear to you. We are not the center of the world, okay? Jesus is. He's king and only he can be God. And when we push him out and we try to play his role, destruction follows. Guys, we suck at ruling and reigning. I mean, just look around at the world. What we see is a result of people seeking their, their kingdoms all over the earth. Hey friends, did you know the mission behind Broken and Chosen? I once was lost, but Jesus found me and redeemed my life. And since he saved me, he's been teaching me who I am as his follower. I am chosen. I am part of his holy nation. I am a royal priest. I am his special possession. He called me out of darkness and into his light to be a bold proclaimer of his glory. And if you're in Christ, that's your identity too. So follow us on social media to be reminded of who you are in Christ. And subscribe to this podcast for a deep dive through God's word to learn who you are in Christ. And check out our apparel in our shop at brokenandchosen.com to wear your identity in Christ. And lastly, if Broken and Chosen is blessing you, would you do us a favor? Would you leave us a review and also tell a friend about us? Next, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. I mean, this is a specific example of what seeking God's kingdom involves. Seeking his kingdom and his righteousness involves not trying to be rich on earth, but trying to be rich in heaven. And the first thing we need to ask ourselves is how many of us are not trying to be rich on earth? Right, crickets. I mean, we all want to be rich. And let me get this out of the way right now. Being rich on earth is not bad. But if we are rich, we can't allow it to prevent us from seeking God's kingdom and it cannot prevent us from laying up treasures in heaven. And you realize how challenging that is? Guys, riches takes our eyes off of Jesus and it rivals God. 
See, we begin to love money more by default. And we have to understand that seeking the kingdom means treasuring Jesus and freeing yourself from the cares of living on this earth. Guys, we're not of this world. We're only passing through. We must not hold on to it. We cannot get comfortable here. Keep your overnight bag ready. Shoot, just live out of a suitcase. Then do not be anxious. Okay, Jesus, that is easier said than done, right? But here's the reality. He commanded it, so obviously it can be achieved. But we ask the question, how? Well, we must break free from our addiction to earthly possessions and treasures and give ourselves with relentless passion and pursuit to kingdom living. I mean, this is the evidence in your life or the fruit in your life that shows that you trust Jesus as Lord and Savior and treasure. This is the Christian life, guys. It's radical freedom from earthly things and security. We don't receive those things from anything we earn here. More money doesn't equal happiness and security. It just equals more problems. Guys, we must remember that true freedom and peace is the life um, in this life only comes from Jesus. But let me repeat that. True freedom and peace in this life only comes from Jesus. Jesus is the only one who can take our anxiety away. And I think another way to break down what Jesus is saying is to look at Luke 12 in the parable of the the rich fool. Here here a man's crops have, have produced more than expected and he asks himself what he should do with all the extra. His answer? Well, he decides to tear down his barns only to build bigger barns. So so he builds those bigger barns and he stuffs them full. And then he says to himself, let's relax, uh, let's eat, let's be merry because I have enough for years to come. And what does Jesus say next? He calls the guy a fool. Jesus calls him a fool. And see, our flesh rises up here and starts justifying this behavior, doesn't it? I mean, he's just saving for a rainy day. There can't be anything wrong with that. I mean, that, that's the smart thing to do, right? I mean, you never know what the future holds. But, but really think about that. What, what we're really saying is, my trust is in my money. Forget investing in the kingdom. I want to make sure I'm good, okay? Guys, Jesus called him a fool. Why? Because he's laying up treasures for himself here on earth. Guys, he wasn't rich towards God. But what on earth does that mean, being rich towards God? I mean, does this mean that we give God lots of money? I mean, does does God need our money? I mean, Psalm 50 verse 10 says he owns everything. So what does he need my money for? I mean, being rich toward God doesn't mean to enrich him. It means to count God as your riches. If we want to be rich, we need to put our focus on God. He is our treasure. He is our riches. He is our great reward. So laying up treasures in heaven would be living your life in a way that shows that God is your treasure. Hear me again, friends. Laying up treasures in heaven would be living your life in a way that shows that God is your ultimate treasure. This means handling your money in such a way to show that that God, not, not money, is your primary treasure. Verse 21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So so Jesus here is making it very clear. Having the wrong treasures leads to our hearts being in the wrong place. What What our hearts desires really shows in our behaviors. 
And in regards to money, when we're in pursuit of riches, we're not in pursuit of God. And if we want to be brutally honest, and this may hurt some of you because it hurts me, it absolutely destroys any justifications that may be floating around in my mind when it comes to wealth. The Bible actually teaches us not to want to be rich. I mean, based on what the Bible says about money, pursuing riches is suicidal. A heart after money is not pursuing God. And remember, our hearts are evil and deceitful. We are to pursue what? The Bible says righteousness. The Bible says godliness. The Bible says faith. The, God, the Bible says love. Jesus said to seek his kingdom, not yours. So our pursuit in life is not to get rich. Our passion in life should be to, 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 per, to pursue purity and holiness and loving others and living sold out for the cause of Christ. Guys, wealth is just a resource to be used to expand God's mission on this earth. The kingdom must be preached. People must hear the gospel. The lost must be found. Time is running out. So when you hear that, ask yourself, how is your money being used to accomplish this? You don't have any money? Well, what about other resources? What about your time and energy? I understand that many do not have a lot of extra money. But we must remember that money isn't the only resource. Our heart can, can also be on display when it comes to how we manage our time and our energy. And I think Jesus is saying this very clearly. In the way you spend your money, in the way you manage your schedule, in the way that you live, your life shows where your heart is. Actions speak loud. Actions speak louder than words. Jesus said, you'll know my disciples by the way they love. And I think it's safe to say that he would say, you will know my disciples by the way they live. Our love for Jesus is made manifest in our behaviors and actions, isn't it? I mean, you can easily tell what God you and I serve. Verse 22 through 23, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. And if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? So this verse is kind of random, isn't it? I mean, it was, it was random to me until I meditated on this and it really opened some things up because Jesus said, um, said this. So it has to have some profound meaning that's going to help us along in this journey. So I think it's important that we understand it. And I think what Jesus is speaking of here in, this, in these two verses is spiritual vision. Spiritual vision is our capacity to see clearly what God wants us to and then see the world from his point of view. And the issue is that this spiritual view can be easily clouded. I mean, self-serving desires, self-serving interests, self-serving goals block that vision. And in serving God is the, is the best way to restore it. A, a, a good eye, a healthy eye is one that is fixed on God. And if a good eye is fixed on God, what is a bad eye fixed on? Well, it truly refers to the eye that can't see the beauty of God's grace. It can't see the brightness of generosity. It can't see the unexpected blessing to others as a special treasure. It's an eye that is blind to what is truly beautiful and bright and um, precious and godlike. It's a worldly eye, okay? It sees money and material reward as more to be desired than, uh, than a beautiful display of free and gracious and godlike generosity. Do you, do you see the importance of good spiritual vision? Having the good eye? 
I mean, the ability to see these things of God, like that's what's important, to see his plan, to see his intentions, to understand your place in all of that. And when you do, you begin to live intentionally and your pursuits gradually change. The idea of spiritual vision is so vital. And how do we see like this? We start by studying the character of Christ and we open the Bible daily and we feed on it and and we also pray for it. We have to pray for eyes to see. We ask God to give us sight to see because without sight to see, none of what I've said, none of what I'm saying or will say will ever make sense to you. And it may make sense, but if what I say doesn't sink into your heart and the Holy Spirit doesn't begin to, to change you and transform you, guys, it's for nothing. So we must pray for this. And just so you know, I'm still on the journey. Okay, the Lord continues to open my eyes, but it's gradual and it doesn't happen overnight. Guys, always remember um, that following Jesus and the process of sanctification, it's a marathon. It's, it's not a sprint. Verse 24, no one can serve two masters for either he will hate one and love the other or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in money. So let's just start with this question. What does it mean to serve money? And I think we can clear up the answer to this question. We're going to find that the answer means to serve God. To serve money means to calculate all of your behaviors, all of your life to maximize what money can give you. You spend your existence always asking what benefits can come to you from money. So in other words, all of your motivations stem from your love of money and how much money you can get for yourself and your pursuits. No matter what you say, your actions speak louder than words. That would be serving money. So on the other side of the coin, to serve God means to calculate all of your behaviors and all of your life to maximize what God has for you. You spend your existence seeking the benefits you can get from God through Jesus, not material possessions. So in other words, all of your motivations stem from your love for God. And again, your actions speak louder than words. So you see how impossible it is to serve God and money? Guys, they're, they're mutually exclusive. It's impossible to serve both. Either you're mastered by money and you ignore God, or you, you, know, you make him your side piece to your life, or you're mastered by God and you make money a servant of the kingdom. But if either tries to master you while you're mastered by the other, you will hate and despise. So in other words, if you're chasing the dollar and God gets in the way of that pursuit, you're going to hate him. He becomes a roadblock. Vice versa. If you're chasing God and all he has for you and the lure of wealth comes in, you're going to see it and you're going to reject it. I mean, you realize that the pursuit of material things becomes a roadblock. So are you, are you getting this? And with all that being said, there's nothing wrong with making a lot of money. I mean, when you look at people in the Bible, like Noah and Abraham and his sons and Joseph and Moses and David and Solomon, these guys were extremely wealthy, extremely wealthy. But ultimately, wealth didn't stand in the way of their pursuit of the Lord. I mean, they may have had some seasons of falling short, but for the most part, their hearts stayed close to God. Their hearts stayed close to the Lord. 
And therefore, they, they, they were protected from this danger. Guys, wealth can come, but we can't allow wealth to become our God. So again, hear me. There's nothing wrong with making money. What's wrong is, is keeping lots of money. Seriously, ask yourself the question, what does keeping money to yourself do for the kingdom? What does keeping it do for eternity? I mean, why would Jesus speak so much and constantly teach us to sell our possessions and give to the needy? You remember in Luke 12, when Jesus spoke to the crowds and said, fear not little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with with treasure in heavens that, that do not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. But guys, the first thing I want you to notice Jesus said was fear not little flock. We tend to be afraid, don't we? I mean, we think if we give to the church or we we give to ministries that are doing God's work, we're not going to have enough for ourselves. And Jesus is telling us not to fear. And he refers to us as little flock. So what does that make him? That makes him our shepherd. Guys, shepherds know everything the sheep need to live. And the shepherds provide for the sheep. They protect and guide the sheep. But I think what Jesus is saying here is take your money and show your freedom from it. It's not your God. It's not your treasure. You love people and want people to love God. So you display the love of God by sharing more and more of what you have. You see how all of this is connected? Jesus is warning us from holding on to our possessions with a closed fist. Don't be afraid. Be lavish and generous and cheerful in your giving. Treat God as your treasure above all treasures. And then show how much he is your treasure by giving and giving and giving and giving to those in need. Randy Alcorn says it in a book called The Treasure Principle. He says, I'm convinced that the greatest deterrent to giving is this, the illusion that earth is our home. Guys, this is not our home. Christ is our home. And therefore to live as Christ and to die is gain. And it will be all the more gain as we learned to lay up treasures in heaven by giving. Here's another one by Randy Alcorn from a book he wrote called Money, Possessions, and Eternity. And this one is going to strike you in the heart. Listen to this. He says, I am convinced that God has raised us up with all of our resources for a time such as this to help fulfill the Great Commission. The question is, what are we doing with the wealth? Our job is to make sure it gets to the intended recipients. Imagine Christ multiplying the five loaves and the two fish and the disciples accumulating the proceeds until they they were buried underneath while the masses went unfed. Bizarre? Yes. But yet how easily we bury ourselves in the resources that God has handed to us while people's needs go unmet and people remain unreached. And here's the truth, guys. We, we can make all the excuses up we want and justify why we, we're not using what God's given us wisely and compassionately to expand the kingdom. But in light of Jesus's uncompromising teachings, how many of our excuses would he even accept? I mean, imagine taking all of those excuses and so-called justifications and stating them before the judgment seat of Christ. Guys, what would Jesus say? John Piper said it best. God prospers us not for us to raise our standard of living, but to raise our standard of giving. And guys, that's absolutely true no matter what we say or what we think. 
And if we think for one minute God has blessed us with prosperity so we can live for ourselves and just be comfortable and secure and safe and healthy and wealthy, we are so deceived. There's no way we can read the Bible and come away with that conclusion. It's just not there. I plead with you, friends, listen to me. And I say this with complete authority, backed by the Bible. And I think Jesus would want me to say this. There there is absolutely no positive correlation between having many things and being happy. In other words, the so-called good life that this world offers you doesn't bring you happiness as it guarantees. A life of simplicity, a life with a budget on your spending and, and a passion to advance the kingdom through giving will give you a far happier life. And I know what I'm saying is absolutely paradox. The world says one thing and Jesus says the opposite. But who are you going to believe? The world that leads you to destruction or, or, or Jesus who, who rose from death and has all authority? I mean, when you actually, guys, when you actually look at the surveys, the people that report themselves the most depressed are the rich. Guys, the richest people are the ones who are taking their lives. Some of the happiest people I've met on this earth were the poorest. And I'm not saying that poor people don't have stress. I'm not, I'm not saying they don't suffer but they have an inner joy that I just can't explain. An inner joy that rich people just don't have. So as I I come to a close here, I want to share two personal experiences of, 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 of those who have it all and are miserable and those who have nothing and are completely content, completely full of joy. Two opposite ends of the spectrum. First, I recall being in Guatemala on multiple mission trips and I met a man named Caesar. He is the most godly man I've ever met. And I'd always heard about him prior to going. And when people would talk about him, they would, they would begin to tear up and get emotional. And after spending literally five minutes with Caesar, the day I met him, I knew why. As Caesar shared his testimony, his struggles, I, I remember weeping uncontrollably. See, Caesar had been diagnosed with spondylosis, which is a disease where your bones literally fuse together. And doctors had given him a very, very, very bad prognosis. Few years to live, Max. And guess what, guys? This was 15 years ago. And he's still here. But not only does he uh, have this horrible disease that's left him 99.5% paralyzed and dependent on 24-hour care care, uh, from his beautiful wife, he lives in extreme poverty. I'm talking a dollar a day poverty. Guys, we in America have no idea what poverty is. I mean, these people in Guatemala, they make homeless people here in America, look rich. But Caesar, after all he'd been through, all that he goes through, and all he's going to continue to go through, he sings and he rejoices in his suffering. He, he calls it a privilege and a joy to suffer for the name of Jesus. And I sit here telling you this in awe of this man. Every time I was at his bedside, man, he would smile and, and he would laugh and he would tell me how much he prays for me and my family. He would tell me how humbled he was to have me in his presence. And at times I'm, I'm, I'm moved to tears to think about this kind of perspective that he has. But this is true joy, guys. This is biblical joy. And it comes from his uh, daily feeding on the word of God, hour by hour, not just a few verses a day. I mean, he feeds on it. And that leads him to to be content in all circumstances. And he knows that his suffering is temporary. He's convinced of who Jesus Christ is. And he fully trusts in God. Now I tell you of an extreme opposite situation than what I just told you. I have an aunt and uncle who, who were like a mom and dad to me growing up. 
you know, those who have read my story, you know, I grew up in a very dysfunctional home, dealt with a lot of neglect, a lot of abuse. My, my aunt and uncle filled that gap from the time I was 12 until I graduated college and really started my own life. And I would say we were inseparable. I mean, my uncle was my idol. I absolutely adored them and would do anything to please them. And guys, they have it all. I mean, they have the mansion, they have the money, they have the clothes, the Louis Vuittons. I mean, they got the cars, Aston Martin. But even though they have everything from a material standpoint, they are so incredibly empty. And I say this now because I'm a follower of Christ and I see it. And since I came to follow Jesus, they don't look at me the same. So there, there was this wedge between us because of my faith. Because see, light and dark don't mix. But even though I had Jesus, I would still visit them. I would still go and spend, uh, spend time with them. I would, I would share the gospel with them. I, I would love them and meet them where they were. And every time we'd hang out, the burden I would feel for them was so deep. I mean, the life they had set up for themselves had produced uh, this empty and this broken marriage. I mean, their kids, they don't even come back to see them anymore. I mean, they're, they're essentially just atheistic, prideful hearts. That they're fearful of death. Money is their God. And I saw this on full display when my dad, my dad died last year. I mean, they were in charge of, of his estate. And for time's sake, I'll just tell you the ending of the story. But my beloved aunt and uncle, who I looked up to and loved and cherished and cared for, lied and kept all of my dad's money and stuff and essentially walked all over me and cut me out of their life in fear of losing those possessions to me. And see, when I came into the picture to be there for my dad after he, um, he neglected me my whole life, they couldn't understand why. I mean, to them, they thought I was there for his possessions. And when I was, was only there to make sure he knew Jesus before he, he took his last breath. And see, their, their blindness led them to greed and it led them to panic and anxiety. And when they, they felt like they were going to lose the possessions and the money, they, they just turned on me. And it was the most bizarre chain of events. And it absolutely took my breath away to see individuals I love dearly behave in this manner. And the point of the story? Well, this, this is what the love of money does. This is why the love of money is the root of all evil. And on one hand, we have Caesar, who, whose treasure is Jesus. And he is full and content and satisfied no matter what circumstances he faces. And on the other hand, you have my, my aunt and uncle, whose treasure is worldly wealth. And they are miserable and they are depressed and unhappy and they live in darkness only to be empty and alone. See why your pursuit matters? So I leave you all with this question. What are you pursuing in this life? Are you pursuing God? Or are you pursuing material possessions? Seriously, think about this because they both have complete opposite destinations and complete opposite outcomes in this life. My friends, this is all for this week's episode of Straight Talk with Selene. Come back next week as we continue our journey through the hard teachings of Jesus. Next week, we jump into the third hard teaching of Jesus. Narrow is the road that leads to life, but wide is the road that leads to what? Destruction. And what was Jesus saying here? And Jesus gives us a choice. Narrow road, wide road. And the one we choose leads to very different external de de destinations. 
So we must look at both of these roads and make sure we're on the right one. And guys, I want to help you understand this. And I want you to understand it clearly. Guys, we need to continually be asking ourselves the question, what does this story of God mean to us and mean for us? Who are we in light of God? Friends, if you have surrendered your life to Jesus and you're following him, the Bible proclaims the following. You are chosen. You are a royal priest. You are a part of a holy nation. You are God's very own possession. You have been called out of darkness, called out of the grave and into his wonderful light, into a life and you're now called a bold proclaimer of his glory. Do you know this? Are you living this? If you are, great. If you're not, it's okay. Most are not. But come back next week because the point of this podcast is to walk this journey together. I'm currently learning myself. But together, we will learn our identity in Christ and we will step into it. My friends, thank you for joining me on this episode of Straight Talk with Celine. I hope our time together has helped you take a small step towards living out the fullness of who you've been called to be. If this episode encouraged and edified you, please take a moment and think of that person that needs to hear this and do me a favor and share it. Jesus has called us to be ambassadors. Let us never forget that the mission is to know Jesus and to make him known. I love you all with the love of Christ. Until next time, take care.